The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Listeners should not act upon the content or information in this podcast without first seeking appropriate individualized advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. The views expressed in this podcast may change without notice and may differ from those views expressed from other bank personnel. The bank makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. Hello, and welcome to CMB Financial Wellness Show. This is a continuation of our Next Generation series of podcasts. Getting started in investing can seem complex and overwhelming, especially if you're not familiar with the fundamentals. Starting with this episode, Investing 101, we will help you begin your journey into the world of investing with the basics. Joining us today is Alex Bell, Wealth Advisor at Candago National Bank and Trust, and me, Dario Sassenti. Wealth Associate of CMB Wealth Management. Alex, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dario. I'm someone new to investing. I've heard the word stocks and bonds thrown around. What is the difference between a stock and a bond? So there are two primary ways for companies to raise cash. First being issuing bonds. A bond is a debt obligation like an IOU. Investors who buy bonds are lending money to the issuer of the bond. In return, the issuer makes a legal commitment to pay interest on the principal and in most cases to return the principal when the bond comes due or matures. The second way, public companies can issue shares of stock. Shareholders agree to buy the stock and in return receive ownership of that public company. As the company grows and increases earnings, it becomes more valuable. Therefore, the value of your stock grows. In summary, when we think of bonds, we should think of safety and a contract spelling out interest payments with a maturity defined. When we think of stocks, we should think of ownership of the company, higher risk, higher reward. It seems that every week there is a new headline regarding prices of stocks. I hear things like, the Dow Jones is down today. Would you mind explaining what this means and how stocks are grouped together? Sure. So media outlets will publish index figures on a daily basis. There are three core indices here in the U.S. that represent various aspects of the stock market. The S&P 500 is an index comprised of the largest 500 companies here in the U.S. and weights them based on their market cap. We typically think Meta, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, but not all the names are tech-related. In fact, names like Coca-Cola, Nike, Walmart, McDonald's are a few of the several hundred examples that live within this index. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is another big index here in the U.S. and has a much smaller sample size as only 30 companies represent the Dow. The Dow is price-weighted and consists of 30 blue-chip U.S. companies, some examples being United Health, Home Depot, Goldman Sachs, Boeing, Johnson & Johnson, Many repeat names also found inside the S&P. Lastly, the third primary index is the NASDAQ Composite Index, which is a market cap weighted index comprised of 2,500 companies that only trade on the NASDAQ. This index is also market cap weighted. These indices are a gauge of the general stock market. As so many stocks are inside each index, it is an easy way to track general market growth. Okay, now I understand what stock indices are. How do individual stock prices move up and down then? Stocks trade on an extremely simple notion. 
we look at expected earnings of the company and then apply a discount value, usually inflation. We have to apply a discount of some sort as we will not be able to get our return back immediately. So we need to be compensated for the time invested. Most of the time, stocks trade on this basic fundamental. In extreme cases, like we saw this year with AMC and GameStop, or the mean stocks, supply and demand will disrupt the norm in the stock market. In these rare cases, supply and demand was so out of whack that prices skyrocketed. This will typically level out the end as people refuse to pay such high prices relative to the earnings generated. Example, would you pay $50,000 for a car that should only cost $30,000? Okay. How does the, the health of the economy relate to the stock market? So economists and investment professionals are always keeping a pulse on the economy here in the U.S. and worldwide. Remember that when we are deciding what is fair to pay for a stock, we are considering future earnings. When consumers have stable income, they are typically buying more and companies are therefore making more profit. For this reason, it's important to get a pulse on our economy on a routine basis to make sure all gears are turning. Certain data like unemployment, CPI or inflation, wage growth, ISM, new orders, Housing starts are all collected by independent organizations and published for the public to analyze. Can you explain where mutual funds and ETFs come into play? I like to look at mutual funds and ETFs as a basket of several stocks or bonds. Diversification is a critical piece to investing, so rather than buying one or two individual stocks, we can buy one mutual fund, which in many cases contains several hundred stocks and spreads out our risk. In general, we can look at mutual funds being run by professional investment managers buying and selling stocks on our behalf inside the fund. We own the fund and therefore own the stocks inside the fund. Mutual funds are often looked at as actively managed, although there are passive ones as well, whereas ETFs are mostly considered to be passive, as they typically hold the same underlying assets as an index and exist to simply track that specific index. I mentioned three basic indices earlier, but there are hundreds, if not thousands, of indices out there to track everything you could imagine, and in most cases there is an ETF or several to track every index. You mentioned active versus passive. Would you mind covering some of the general ideas of each investment style? Sure. So there are many styles of investing, and each style has its own set of strengths and weaknesses, although each style can be successful over the long term with one common theme, and that's discipline. Active investors typically have the idea that they can beat the market on a consistent basis. Passive investors are typically happy returning the general market returns. As you can imagine, you would typically pay more for active management as more goes into it. There is always going to be good years and bad years as very few managers, if any at all, have beat their prospective benchmarks each and every reporting period. The passive approach is extremely inexpensive, and as mentioned before, you should expect market-like performance. Whatever index you intend to track, you should have almost equivalent returns. Another form of investing is the value versus growth mindset. It's important to note that we could get into the weeds on just about any of these styles as they are far more complex than what we're discussing here today. So I'm doing a lot of generalizing. 
any investment professional could show tendencies of a combination of all these styles. So value-oriented stocks are typically blue-chip, tenured, dividend-paying stocks, such as railroad companies, Home Depots, Walmarts, etc. The idea is that you are investing in a proven company who has stable cash flows, a very strong balance sheet with assets to outlast weak economic periods, and on top of that, they're all incentivizing shareholders by typically paying them a dividend. When experts are analyzing value-oriented companies, they're going to make sure the price they pay for it is closer in line to what it should be on a fundamental basis. Again, going back to the example of paying $50,000 for a 30000 car is not rational. A growth company, on the other hand, is a bit harder to make sense of on a fundamental basis. Think about Tesla. It didn't have an annual profit until 2020, yet it was trading at extreme multiples up until that point. How was this possible? The excitement around it. It was the biggest success story in the electric vehicle market. Its moat or competitive advantage was huge. It seemed to have all the pieces falling into place and was exciting to investors, so they didn't mind paying prices that are high. This is a great example of a growth company. In the last several years, there has been a phrase thrown around our industry called GARP. This acronym stands for Growth at a Reasonable Price and is sort of a mix of the two styles. Growth-oriented investors who do not overpay on a fundamental basis. I've mentioned fundamental a fair amount, and that is another style for analysts. Two main analyst styles on today's Wall Street are your fundamental analysts and technical analysts. Fundamental analysts focus on reading into balance sheets, cash flow statements, and income statements, and then compute metrics such as price-to-earnings ratio, earnings-to-share, liquidity ratios, etc. Technical analysts, or chartists, utilize today's technology and focus on charts and trading statistics to figure out entry and exit points. It's pretty common for analysts to be familiar with and utilize both methods when analyzing stocks. Two styles of portfolio management are top-down and bottom-up. Top-down is when portfolio managers' train of thoughts starts with a big picture and then works their way down to finite details. An example of this is designing a portfolio, you may first think, where do we want to be positioned globally? Then, what industries do we want to overweight or underweight? And then, what sub-industries do we want to focus on inside each broad industry and then find individual companies that stand out there. Bottom-up is quite the opposite, where you may first screen for individual characteristics of a company and see what stands out. Then you build the portfolio up from there. Wow, that's a lot of information. I'm interested in investing. Where would I start? So I would strongly encourage anyone without experience to find a trusted advisor and start the conversation. If you're the do-it-yourselfer type of person, there are several platforms where you can open a brokerage account and try your hand at it. Alex, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. At the end of every episode, we like to summarize the topics for our listeners. What do you think our audience should take away from this? Knowing your risk limits and staying within your means. It's easy to get excited, have a couple lucky breaks, and then turn more into a gambler rather than an investor. There's a clear difference between the two, 
and in the long run, the latter always wins. If you have more questions or you want to sit down with an advisor or planner, visit our website, cmbank.com, or one of our many local branches. Thanks for listening, and subscribe to stay up to date on new episodes.